With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yakuza. Yakuza. Yakuza Kick Radio. 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 The Yakuza Kick Radio. This is the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. That there's one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m. Yakuza Kick Radio. Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and baby, Jesus! Help us! Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah! Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday night this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Klein, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, Bearded Dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, probably watching porn and you have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Man. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you didn't. Now look at that guy, you homie. Fuck that. Black dude. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. Friday, October 30th, 2015. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, J. Cat Morris. And I'm doing this show so I can get this uh, this interview in. And um, my guest tonight is Deathmatch legend, Madman Pondo. What's going on, man? Ah, that fucking blog talk. He's got the little wheel spinning in the circle when I said to put the thing on. So... Of course, there's always a, always an issue. There you go. You there, man? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you, man. All right. Well, I apologize about last time. Go ahead and start them over this time. Maybe I'll even answer different. 
Good <laughs> right, man. No worries. Um, so, yeah, man, you've been doing this a long, long time. Uh, when did you actually get started in wrestling? I, uh, my very first match was June 24th, 1989, uh, in Albion, Illinois. And uh, I paid to train, so I trained the whole six months. They wanted me to start sooner than the six months, but I trained for six months and then uh, wrestled. Uh, he was called the Avalanche, and then at USWA, he was called Melvin Pinrod Jr., but that was my first match. Uh, what was training like back then? You know, what did it involve? And you know, Things must have changed a lot over the years, but... Well, back then, uh, there was guys who wanted to make sure that you wanted to stay in this business. Uh, me and my friend... Uh, Leslie Slick Thompson, we went in as a tag team. And these guys more or less were just brutalizing us and kicking our faces in and pulling our hair and blacking our eyes and stuff. And, you know, wrestling's, I knew that this is what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a professional wrestler. So I stuck with it and stayed in there. But my my best friend said, man, I'm not just going to pay these guys just to, kick my shit in so he quit but I kept going and and here I am today yeah um so what were your inspirations to actually get into wrestling and do it uh back in the day I mean way back in the day uh my family's pretty reserved and they don't really you know cuss or you know, totally different from me. So uh, my great-grandma and great-grandpa, they'd be watching Jerry King Lawler's CWA, which became USWA later. But they'd be yelling out things like, dirty motherfucker and stuff like that. Well, me and my brother was just in awe, you know. And for some reason that that was so cool and so funny to me, it made me a fan. So, uh you know, I was going to a lot of wrestling growing up. My grandma would take me to some. A guy named uh, Roy West would take me to a bunch. And, uh, you know, I, I would see wrestling at the Chase in St. Louis, Angelo Papa's ICW around the Illinois area. Uh, was going to Jerry King Waller's USWA. And then Chicago, we would go to AWA and WCW and WWF at the time. And But my favorite company in Chicago was a place called Windy City Wrestling because they would do things like Sergeant Slaughter took on Abdullah the Butcher. Mm-hmm. Bruiser Brody took on John Nord. Uh, Terry Gordy took on Bam Bam Bigelow for the Bam Bam name, you know, just really cool stuff like that. I was more into that than I was all the other stuff. But just growing up, man, just going to wrestling is just, you know, made me always want to be one. My mom still has a piece of paper somewhere from school. It says, uh, draw a picture of what you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, kids were drawing policemen and firemen and, Kiss-ass kids with drawing teachers, but mine's got a wrestling ring with two stick people wrestling each other. So I knew what I wanted to be. Nice. So 
Um, you know, where did you decide, like, what kind of style of wrestling you wanted to work? Obviously, you know, you went down the deathmatch road. You know, what made you decide to go down that road and take it as far as you've taken it? I was only weighing in at about 165 pounds, and nobody was really taking anything that I was doing all that serious. You know, I was with guys that were pretty basic, so they was training me to be basic, but I didn't want to be basic. I, I wanted to be something more. So I started traveling all these places. I mean, Nevada, South Dakota, you know, any place that would say yes, I, w- I would go wrestle for them, but you know, nothing was really helping me get my name out there. And then I started doing the tape trading thing and got a hold of uh, Puerto Rico and Japanese videotapes. And, of course, there was just madness, just craziness going on on these tapes, and that's what really got me going. So that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a deathmatch wrestler. Yeah. Uh, how'd you come up with your name and, and your gimmick? Uh, going to wrestling, all the crazy guys is really who I liked. I liked the Abdul and the Butchers. I liked the Sheep Herders. Not the Bushwhackers, but the Sheep Herders. Not that retarded shit they started doing later. And Bruiser Brody and, you know, just the really crazy guys. So that's what I wanted my name to be. I wanted to have something crazy in it, but there was a Maniac Mark Lewin, uh, Crazy Mike Miller, you know, the only name like that that wasn't taken was Madman. So I went ahead and ha- held on to the Madman name. Then there was a movie called The Party Animal that has a guy on there named Pondo that was a seven-year senior, a seven-year college student that had a lot of trouble getting laid. Well, in high school, that was my nickname, Pondo. So I just put them together. Madman Pondo, and uh, it took me a while to get that name out there. I was, you know, but I could get the, if it wasn't Madman, it was always Mad Dog. If it wasn't Pondo, it was always Poncho or Pongo. But finally, uh, after a while, Madman Pondo started sticking in people's heads. So that's how I got the name. Um, The stop sign's a big part of your arsenal. Um, pretty much your go-to. Um, how did that become your your deal and, and your weapon of choice? I was in Central City, Kentucky, and two small children, I mean children, like eight or nine years old, started hitting each other, you know, called me over and said, Pondo, watch this, and started trading the shots with each other with trash can lids. And here I've been knocking grown men out with, with uh, my trash can lid, so I got to thinking. I got to come up with something that's about the same size, that's harder to get a hold of, that still will make a noise and will not freak people out. And pretty much that's what the stop sign came. There was a uh, in Central City. They had a it was a old flea market, so there was a whole bunch of stuff laying in the back, and one of them was a stop sign, so I started using that. A lot of guys back then didn't uh, didn't really like the idea of getting hit by a stop sign, but, you know, after a while, it just started kicking in, and I, that's what I started using. 
you know, that that's definitely a unique thing that um, a lot of people don't have included in their gear bag and stuff. So, you know, how has it been traveling with that type of thing or, or getting one over the years? I'll tell you a story. One time I, I got pulled over and uh, people had given me a whole bunch. I probably had 10 or 12 stop signs, a, a little stack sitting in my <laughs> trunk. And back in the day, the police officer would make you get out of your car and, and go sit in his front seat to sign a ticket. So I started walking back to his car with him, and he said, Hey, buddy, uh, you got something hanging out of your trunk. And it was my handle on my gear bag. So I opened the trunk, lifted it, put that piece in there, and as I was trying to slam it, he put his hand in between the trunk and picked it back up and there was that stack of stop signs and he said and uh, I don't know if you remember this or not but in Georgia this was right around that time in Georgia uh, some teenage kids had took the stop sign down from a four way stop and two cars hit each other and killed a young child a young baby that was right around this time so you know, he was really on me about this stack of stop signs, and, and he counts them, counts them all. He goes back to his car and grabs a calculator and comes back to me and says, Mr. Candy, do you realize you have $500,000 worth of fines in your car right now? And I just started flipping, like, look, fans gave me these. I didn't steal them. But he looks down, and he goes, all right, I'm going to go with your story about the stop sign. And he picked up this barbed wire bat that had my hair all in it, and there was blood all in it. But he said, you want to tell me what this is? And I said, well, I like to hunt animals, but I like to give them a fair shake. But he didn't find any comedy in that at all. But he, <laughs> he gave me a, a $500 fine, and I had to go back. Let's see, what was I think Spencer, Indiana. I had to go back to Spencer, Indiana to go to court about these stop signs but uh yeah that was about my only problem i've had uh i've never stolen one that way i can pass a lie detector test someday if i have to but fans mm-hmm. give them to me all the time i've traveled with them to japan and australia and england germany mexico uh any any place i've went i've i've taped two pieces of cardboard together with a stop sign in the center of them and traveled with them so stop sign's been all right with me and sometimes it's aggravating i wish i would have found something smaller but <laughs> i didn't so yeah um so yeah um i mean the first time i got to see you was in czw i started going czw um february 2001 and um you know then afterwards i got some tapes and stuff and and started seeing you know the back stuff that you you were doing there and you know from there i caught on to iwa and all that stuff but um the first thing i saw of you you know well the earliest thing i thought saw of you i should say was the uh bloodbath 2000 and um it was it was you and ian and a pair of scissors and, and some of the deepest cuts i've ever seen in a wrestling ring i had that uh, whole thing the, the thing with that was me and ian uh we wanted to get a job at czw and the the ECW hat guy was out in the crowd. You remember the ECW hat guy? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. me me and Ian told each other, you know, if we could if we could get a reaction out of that guy, we can get a job anywhere. 
So uh, we asked everybody in the locker room, does anybody have a pair of scissors? And Lord Everett Hayes brought us a pair of scissors. We didn't know that he hurried up and got them out of the, straight out of the package. So they were still razor sharp. And uh, we got in front of the hat guy, sure enough. I ran it across Ian's forehead, but he had his back to me, so I didn't know how deep the gash was. You saw on the tape, it was pretty deep. And then yeah. he gave me he gave me one on the arm and, you know, 20 stitches across his head and 11 in my arm. Uh, we pretty well got jobs at Susie Doe, well, I did. They, they kept me. They didn't keep me, and I don't know why. But uh, he started working for them a long time after I was there for a little stint there with the invasion thing, but, uh, right. you know, but what, what a thing to be famous for, you know, scissors. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, you, you had a match, uh, in Delaware that was, uh, the main event of Uneth and Believable. And, you know, a lot of people remember Uneth and Believable and it's the, uh, you know, the June Desai match and Nick Mondo and Payne and Cashmere. Um, you guys actually went on after that match, and a lot of people actually forgot about it. No rope barbed wire and everything, which is usually a very well-remembered match. Um, you know, what was it like following that? Uh, I remember how long the night was of professional wrestling before it got to uh, Johnny Cashmere, Trent, and, uh, and Kasai, and Mondo. And then... Even after their match, there was a long promo afterwards. Uh, if you remember, June Kasai bled like water mm-hmm. out of his back. So that had to be mopped up in a few spots. And the barbed wire still had to be put up. So, you know, a lot of people had already left as far as I remember. But it was hard getting them going because, you know, everybody was tired. It was long, long hours. But. I do remember by the end of the match that me and Lobo had them pretty good, and uh, uh, I've I've still got one on my chest where one of the barbs went inside my skin, and I saw Lobo coming, so I had to pull it out real quick. But uh, as far as I remember, by by the time we was done, everybody was on their feet having a good time, so I guess we did what we were supposed to do. Yeah. Um, you know, what was your, you know, how do you remember the, um, your relationship with Zandig and how was it, you know, working with Zandig? Uh, Zandig is stuck in his ways and, and, uh, you know, that's not a bad thing. If you think about it, CZW wouldn't have the name that it does today if it wasn't for John Zandig. DJ Hyde bought what John Zandig made and created so CZW still lives but to be born was John Vandig and you know he had a knack for finding unusual wrestlers that you know would mutilate their bodies for the entertainment of others and then later more started uh, coming to him and saying hey can I work for you and from uh, 2000 to 2002 or three, the the end of two or the beginning of three, you know, we we was flying back and forth to Japan a lot, and mm-hmm. you know, there was an ups and downs there, but uh, 
you know, I, I I got no problem with nobody. So uh, there in Philly, John Van Dig gave me a opportunity to wrestle in front of the Philly crowd. And in my opinion, if you can make it as a wrestler in Philly, you can make it anywhere. So, you know, I got no problem with John Van Dig at all, and I don't think he has a problem with me as well. Actually, I was watching his uh, his uh, shoot interview that he did for Smartmark, and mm-hmm. and uh, every name they would mention, John would be like, "Ah, that guy sucks. That guy's a piece of shit." And then, and then they said my name, and I was waiting on it. But John James was like, "Oh, he's a nice guy." So <laughs> you know. So you know, like you said, I mean, there uh, he had a knack of finding a lot of guys that would do this type of thing, and. You know, some of those guys, their careers weren't so, you know, long-lived. But um, you got a chance to work with a lot of these guys that are legends, uh, like the wife beater. What was your thoughts on working the wife beater? Me and Matt. Matt is one of the funniest guys that I've – wife beater is one of the funniest guys in person that I've ever talked to. So we always had a real good time. And I always got a lot of shit from – Deathmatch fans, you know, that they always said that, well, Pondo was not as good as this guy. But here's the problem. When I started doing deathmatches, there was no uh, social media. You know, it was just right. all videotapes in a Kmart building in, in Louisville, Kentucky. So it just took a while for deathmatches to become popular like they was. Well, by then... I'd already, you know, uh, got power bombed into a big screen TV and and uh, you know power bombed through all these light tube log cabins. But you know, without that social media, like like what was getting popular when CZW started getting popular, you know, people always come to me. Well, not come to me, but I always read on the internet or people say Honda was never as good as this guy. Well. Back when I was doing it, there was no, you know, there was uh, Ian and Axel started doing it at ECW, and then they left ECW, and then I got with Ian when mm-hmm. Axel was when Axel was against death matches. So I would say that me, Axel, Ian, and Bull Payne was was uh, the four guys that, you know, I mean, I was doing it every Tuesday in front of three to four hundred fans in Louisville. But me mm-hmm. just kick, kick my shit in, you know. So, so I would say that I was, and and I, you know, I never put myself over, but I'd say I was one of the pioneers of deathmatch wrestling in America. And mm-hmm. then, you know, people people just started following along afterwards. Uh, I remember that me and Ian did the truck stop match in New Jersey in front of. John Zandig, who was shaking his head at us, looking at us like we was a couple of retards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but later on, John Zandig started doing death matches himself. So you know, it yeah. just took a while for death matches to evolve, and and then when they did, man, people started coming from everywhere to watch them and do them and all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Lobo, um, you know, a lot of the newer fans might not know Lobo, but um. You know, he, he, to me, he was kind of like CZW's Mick Foley. I mean, this guy would take bumps off of anything. And, um, you know, what was your thoughts on Lobo? I, uh, 
I always wanted to wrestle Lobo more. I only got to wrestle mm-hmm. him the once, but uh, when I saw him come out of that roof, you know that that just that just awed me. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember Lobo took a bump off a balcony through flaming barbed wire boards and just laid there in the board. Like security yeah. had to grab him and pull him out of there, you know. I mean, I always liked the the brave deathmatch guys, and that that was the epitome of Lobo. He was not only a deathmatch guy, but he was very brave about it. Yeah, sure. And then, um, you know, another guy with a with a similar name, um, Nick Mondo. Uh, Mondo, for his size, was probably one of the the bravest guys, you know, I mean, I used to do a lot of stupid shit, but I don't know if I would let somebody weed eat the skin off my stomach. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he had, and, you know, he had the same skills I did, but he also had high flying skills, which made him double, double impressive in the death match world. You know, that, that bunch that him and uh, homeless Jimmy took off that truck Mm-hmm. I mean that's 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 classic, man. I mean, but it just took a guy who uh, had high sky, high flying skills and deathmatch skills to pull that off. And uh, you know, and me and Nick Mondo hung out in Japan a lot. Me and Nick Mondo and Trent would just walk around these country towns, you know, and we all became pretty good friends. So yeah, I got a lot of respect for Nick Mondo. Yeah. Um, later on in CZW, they brought you in for a tournament at death, and um, I think it was a match against Toby Klein, and you took a spot with sharpened pencils. Um, <laughs> what do you remember about that? I remember sitting back. Uh, it, it was at a, a motorcycle track, yeah, I believe, and I'm, I remember sitting back and watching people uh, – not people, but the people on the show would walk over to the backstage to where all these weapons was laid out like a mash unit. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them was pointing at this and saying, I'll do this, I'll do this. But everybody would look at that bed of pencils and be like, I'm not going to fuck with that. So then uh, Necro Butcher and Brain Damage was going over their match. And I saw Necro go over who who Necro to me is a guy who never said no to anything. You know, right. I saw him look at that bed of pencils and go, no, we're not doing that. And I was like, holy shit, that's what I'm going to do. So, because I, I knew that I was out in the first at Tournament of Death, but I wanted to do something that was remembered at that Tournament of Death. And uh, three things I've heard over and over about that same Tournament of Death. That guy, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Blood something that Blood, went man. into that uh, went over that top rope into that shopping cart and and cut his knee so so deep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Nick Gage got caught on fire. And the third thing that I hear about about that trauma of death over and over again is about that bed of pencils. So I'd say that I I uh, did what I needed to do to be remembered in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, how do you, how do you work out on like how you're going to take that or you know everyone else didn't want to take it at all and um I mean you took it to the uh, I think like a DVD or something like that. Yep, I took a Death Valley driver and I knew I knew by taking that Death Valley driver that there was going to be no backing out once I got on Toby Klein's shoulders. So that's what I said I was going to do. I said uh, you know because that was Toby Klein. Toby Klein would do a spinning. Death Valley driver. So I told Toby, mm-hmm. let's do that. Toby started arguing with me. He didn't want me to take a Death Valley driver on it. And I was like, no, this is what we're going to do. And Toby even took scissors and started cutting the tops off of them. And I told him, I said, Toby, it's not going to do no good. Just just leave those tops on there. No problem. So I did, and that was six days of agonizing body pains that I've had in my whole life. Uh, I still have the marks in my back where uh, pencils went all through. I've got a big purple mark going all the way down into my crack where one got me in the ass real hard. Uh, I got them on the back of my arms. But, like I said, I wanted to do something to be remembered at that tournament to death, and that's what I did. Yeah. So now, uh, you know, I started with CZW, and obviously before that, you know, you're in IWA Mid-South. Um, how did you get hooked up with Ian and, you know, start in the IWA Mid-South? I heard that Ian had uh, broke away from ECW. Now, if you talk to him, he quit. If you talk to others, he got fired. doesn't matter to me. But uh, I lived in a small town of Florida, Illinois, when I heard that Ian uh, was no longer with ECW, I started calling every wrestler that I knew, and I finally got a hold of one that knew how to get get a hold of Ian Rotten. So I called Ian Rotten on the phone, told him my name, and I said, death matches is, is what I want to do. Uh, you know, I, I would like to wrestle you wherever I could. Well, mm-hmm. nobody had heard of me, you know, I was just a small-town kid doing small-town wrestling shows, and he had never heard of me. But uh, finally, I talked the guy into booking me and Ian. And uh, the night before the show, that guy backed out and said, I'm not going to be able to give Ian what I said I was going to. So I gave it to him. And uh, it was under the understanding that whole time that the first match was going to be a barbed wire baseball bat because, let's face it, when Bad Breed turned on each other, that barbed wire baseball bat, that was fresh and amazing. Like, everybody was like, oh, my God, you know. So right. that's what I wanted to do. But when Ian showed up, he had only brought a leather strap. So he explained to me, he's like, I don't know you, you don't know me. I don't want to hurt each other. So our first match we're going to do, we'll just do, you know, this leather strap, which uh, was attached to our our wrist. That's mm-hmm. no problem. So anytime Ian would hit me with that strap, I, I would make sure that I was bleeding in that spot, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I I did it so much that I made Ian Rotten look at me and go, God damn it, kid, stop gigging. All right? <laughs> so after that, we sat down. He goes, all right, you showed me. He's like, uh, we'll do barbed wire bat next time. So that's 
somebody from that company booked us in a in almost the same area but different company. We did barbed wire bat. Uh, I took everything the way I was supposed to, and then, you know, me and Ian just started going on the road to all these places, to Detroit, to uh, Carluzzo's NWA in Philly, and, you know, we just the blood trail everywhere we went and and uh that turned into Ian was gonna run IWA out of this Kmart building. Well for the first two or three months, two and a half months, me and Ian was the main event doing just ungodly crazy things to each other and uh that's more or less how I got started at IWA. Mid South. Yeah. Uh, so you know, then he um, he comes with the uh, the King of the Death match, and um, you know, from what I know, I mean, it's pretty much the first death match tournament in, in the U.S. Um, you know, what was your thoughts going into that? There was a guy named Tim Jackson running out of Evansville, Indiana, and uh, he was doing death matches with with uh, guys named the Rough Riders. Uh, me and another guy named Ox Harley, but we was we was getting real good crowds at this building called the Evansville Coliseum with these death matches. So mm-hmm. it was my it was my idea to Tim Jackson. I was like, "What? What we need to do is we need to get eight guys, and we need to do this thing called King of the Death Matches." Because, like I said, I was a tape trader, so I had right. the McFoley Terry Funk death match, and you know, we even tried to book Ian for it, and Ian wasn't about it. He was like, no, you know, I, I don't want to go down there and do it. Well, Tim Jackson dropped the ball, and next thing I know, Ian Rotten started doing King of the Death matches. You know, he called me and Ox and said, hey, do you guys want to do mine? Which is cool, you know. I mean, I know that that's where the idea came from, but it's all cool, whatever. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wrestled... Uh, Tower of Doom and Bob Wire boards, and then I wrestled Doug Gilbert, who uh, suplexed me off the edge of the ring into a circus thing of Bob Wire. But uh, you know, but I was part of the uh, the first King of the Death matches here in America, so uh, I was pretty happy about it. Yeah. So, you know, then you're there a while. Um, go forward to King of the Death Match 03, which is still revered as one of the best King of the Death Match tournaments that's ever happened. And um, you go to the finals against J.C. Bailey, who is a pretty young guy in the business at the time. And, um, you know, what was your thoughts on that whole tournament? Uh, I, I got to wrestle Nick Gage. Um, I think, didn't I wrestle Nate Webb the first night? think so. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, you know, I was just, it was just an honor to me that, uh, you know, that I was a big enough deathmatch star that I was put over in this 2003 King of the Death matches. And, and uh, just later on, people kept saying the best King of the Death match was 2003. You know, I've heard that several times, which makes me very happy since. You know that was my King of the Death match year. So, but right. uh, but but even you saying that even confirms you know that a lot of people say that 2003 was the best King of the Death match year. Right. 
Um, now, you know, going into the finals with JC, um, you guys used the spot with a with a taser on the on the steel cage. How did you come up with that spot? Uh, actually, that one came off the fly. Uh, yeah. JC JC had climbed to the top of the cage, and I was supposed to get up there to do something, and I don't even remember what that was. But uh, we didn't anticipate that these light tubes hanging down from the top of the cage was, was going to get in the way as much as they did. So mm-hmm. when he climbed up at the top of the cage, whatever I was supposed to do, I wasn't there for it. So that's when I took the taser and put it on the cage, and that's when JC took his bump off of it. But uh, I don't, uh, it's crazy. I don't even remember what I was supposed to be doing, but I know that I wasn't there for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another big, big match you had with JC is, um, you know, a legendary match of the circus death match. And, um, you know, how did that come about that you guys were going to do that? I think they've done them in and but um first in the states and um yeah that that's where i got that from from masanaga but you know masanaga had a uh a small scaffold across the ring and then two guys came at each other and i always pictured you know that i wanted to do that better than those guys so i started thinking of ways to make it better and i'm the one who who decided to do three tiers. That way we could do one small bump off the bottom, uh, uh, a little higher one off the middle, and then the big one off the top. But, uh, you know, I, when I came to J.C. and said, hey, uh, would you do this match with me? J.C. was just a bigger fan of Japanese wrestling as I was. He was like, hell yeah, I will. And And our only condition was that, it made it on videotape, and it did. So, you know, uh, the sad thing about it is I was, uh, and this happened maybe one or two weeks ago, somebody put a clip, you know, from the the finish, and all the comments underneath there was, this is dumb, you know, this isn't wrestling, uh, all this shit. Well, for... Two guys who was a fan of Japanese wrestling, that was wrestling. That was our wrestling, and, you know, I don't feel bad about doing it at all, so all those guys' comments can go fuck themselves. Right. Now, you know, the way the match went down, um, obviously the stipulation kind of limits you as far as, you know, what kind of wrestling or what kind of things you could do because, you know, the ring is more or less tarped off a barbed wire. Um, is there any other, you know, things you wish could have been added to it? I really don't know what would have been able to be added to it if if nothing else. Maybe maybe the final bump exploding, that that might have been cool, but I don't mm. even know how we would have pulled that off. No, I never really thought about it. I, I thought it was was perfect the way it was, to tell you the truth. Uh, was that the highest thing you've ever taken at the point at that point? Uh, no, I I got in a bad habit of uh, jumping off balconies and <laughs> and putting guys through tables and stuff. And uh, we was in, hmm, I can't even remember. We was in uh, Illinois, and I was wrestling a guy called Manslaughter. And Manslaughter was about 
350, 400 pounds, so, you know, he was just a big tampon to land on. Well, when we got there, they they pointed at this balcony and said, can you jump off that balcony? I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So uh, when I when I when the time came, I put him on the I put manslaughter on the table and I started climbing the steps and I was halfway up and I'm tired and I'm looking and I got a hell of a lot more steps. I was like, oh man. So then when uh, when I got to to the edge of the balcony, I'm looking down and you know it's a lot farther than what I thought it was and it was either <laughs> flip everybody off and turn hill and turn around and and climb back down or or die. But uh like I said, manslaughter was a big old boy, so I just took the leap and uh the table came up and hit him in the back of the head and and knocked him out. But uh when I stood up I was fine. So uh there was a janitor after the show who had one of those uh it, it was a tape measure but it's made of cloth but it, you know it's 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 great big and and you got to roll it up with this handle thing you know what I'm talking about yeah uh-huh he held it over the edge you know so we can see how far that was and it was 21 i think 21 high jeez so i thought i was doing something real good and then the very next week two touch tony does the same thing but uh jumps up in the air real high and Makes a twenty-one into a twenty-three, twenty-four, but uh, yeah, that that was probably the highest. That's not probably that's the highest that I ever jumped. But I wouldn't have if I would have. If somebody would have told me, "Hey, that's twenty-one high," I wouldn't have done it. But me just glancing over and said, "Yeah, I can do that," and then climbing up those steps and looking down, how small manslaughter was. It was pretty stupid, <laughs> but. But uh, <laughs> the problem is I, I can't find a video of that. So it's like, did the tree make a noise in the forest, you know? Yeah. Like, That's what I was going to say, happen. man. No one, no one ran a tape on that beforehand, but like you said, you probably wouldn't have done it if you saw the numbers. Right. Mike uh, Mike Bonomo is who ran that show, I believe, and I think he has a videotape of it. But I've yeah. never seen it. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, we had talked about some of the, you know, matches with JC. Um, you know, JC passing away. I mean, what was your memories of JC, you know, fondest memories of JC? Um, well, we all know that JC had his demons and sure. we all overlooked them, but uh uh JC, JC's dad called me and asked me would I help JC that, you know, he said he's really going down and he's really concerned for him. So the only thing I could think of is I know that JC wanted to go to Japan real bad. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, the numbers that I had for JC, you know, was no good. So I went to Evansville, Indiana and, uh, I wasn't even on the car, but wound up wrestling JC that night. So after the match, I told JC, I said, look, I'll take you to Japan, but I can't have you over there all fucked up. You're going to have to, you know, sober up, and then I'll take you. Well, his love for going to Japan uh, must have worked because he 
he didn't he didn't get all the way clean, but he got clean enough that you know he can take a plane trip, and a plane trip's twelve to fourteen hours, depending on your wind current over to Japan. And he stayed clean the whole the whole tour while we was over there. And then as soon as we got back, he went right back off the wagon, you know. But uh, I'm pretty proud of him, you know, that he his demons were pretty strong, but he wanted to go to Japan. There's videotapes. Uh, You'll see, uh, you know, his his face is is a lot more uh, full. And, you know, we was only over there about three weeks. But, you know, you got to give it up for JC. He... uh, he cleaned up and really wanted to go to that. And then, uh, then when he died, I just, I really didn't believe until I showed up to the funeral. And sure enough, so uh, you know, I, I was uh, J.C. Bailey had a Superman tattoo on the back of his uh, leg, and he mm-hmm. people would say, people would say, "What are you, a Chris Hero Mark?" And he'd say, "Fuck no, I'm Madman Pondo Mark." because I have Superman tattooed on my arm, he would tell everybody that's the reason he got that on the back of his leg. I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, another another one we lost, you had mentioned earlier, you know, you did a lot of travel in Japan and stuff, and um, it was Trent Acid. Um, you any memories of Trent? I sure do, man. Like, you know, Trent had every potential to make it in this business, uh, you know, he he never wanted to talk about his matches, but never missed a spot. You know, he was had a, a good body on him, uh, good character, and all that. But them demons, them demons kicked kicked his ass. You know, I mean, if nothing in this world, uh, I've been traveling with Crazy Mary, and you know, I I tell her. Just leave these drugs alone, because you know Trent Acid is the is the uh, he just had it all going for him, and mm-hmm. messed it all up for him. And you know, I I don't you know he he was just such a good dude. Uh, always want tried to make people laugh. Always tried to make me laugh, but uh, you know. People are just gonna have to leave them drugs alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, back um, two thousand two, you had a match with Necro Butcher. It was uh, light tubes, the whole nine. Uh, and uh, his arm got—I mean, one of the worst injuries I've seen. Um, probably one of the worst he suffered over his career too. So what was your memories of that match? I remember after I got done how upset I was, you know, because the way that was supposed to go, the light tubes were supposed to go inside the ladder, you know, from ladder Mm -hmm. to ladder, tier tier to tier, but we just didn't have time to do that. So that's why we put that square in there. And uh, sure enough, Necro's arm got trashed like that, and I I felt so bad, and, you know, I, I was sitting off to myself, and, Necro with his arm all bandaged up, come over there, and he said, Pondo, what did you do when my arm got cut? And I said, what did you mean what I do? He says, what move did you give me? I said, a suplex off 
second rope. He goes, okay, so where did your arm go? I said, my arm was underneath your neck. And he goes, where did my arm go? I said, underneath mine. He goes, so think about it. If my arm wasn't there, wouldn't that light tube have went through the back of your neck? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, my arm is fine. Your neck wouldn't have been. He, he told me to straighten up and act right. And I, you know, and after that moment, I, he was right. You know, I, I probably wouldn't be here today if if it wasn't a suplex and that tube would have went through my neck. So, you know, <laughs> but that's just Necro's attitude. You know, he. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want anybody to feel bad for anything. You know, on a different note, you you were on the Jerry Springer show. Um, I think more than once too. What was, how did that all come about? You know, what was it like going on that? I had a buddy named Ace Craft that was getting the, the midgets. You know, he he did a lot for uh, the half pint brawlers midgets and the micro midgets. Well, he was getting those books on Jerry Springer a lot. And one day they called him and said, "Man, we need, we need a, a character. We need get somebody who, you know, can talk." And and uh, Ace thought of me, so the Jerry Springer called me on the phone, and the Jerry Springer show called me on the phone and said, "Hey, uh, can we uh, get you to come out?" I said, "Yeah, sure. You know, sounds like fun. You know, and." and I thought being on the Jerry Springer show was going to be so much fun that I wouldn't worry about a paycheck. But then when I got a three hundred dollar paycheck, I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> so, uh, so I did the first show. Me, Two Tough Tony, and Mitch Page. We did the first one, and we, you know, we told each other we was like, "Look, they're going to know we're wrestlers, but let's go out there and let's really hit each other." So they cut our segment on TV, but we we really was punching each other in the face and you know, I mean we just thought, let's not be fake, let's let's uh show the people of Jerry Springer what this was all about. Well, then uh they wouldn't let me you know, 'cause we did that and uh Steve, the bald headed security guard Steve, is yeah. a real cop. Well he was supposed to arrest us after that. So uh, you know, so the you can't have real contact right in front of a cop. So they took us off the, the final question and answering. Uh, Tony got to be on there, but me and Mitch didn't. So I thought I was pretty well in trouble and, and done with the Jerry Springer show, and I flew home. And a few days after that, they gave me a call and said, hey, uh, uh, do you know any inter- interesting people? And I said, yeah. So uh, I booked every guest for one episode. Uh, people, they got sent to another episode, but, you know, that there's four couples to an episode, and I booked them four couples, and they was really impressed with that, and they they sent me a $800 check for that. And then they asked wow. me if I would be willing to, you know, book more people. So there for a while, I was getting checks sent to me from the Jerry Springer show, I even did another episode with another girlfriend that I had, um, you know, and they would fly me in. They flew me in like three times just to hang out with the guests that I got booked and stuff. So, but uh, after a while, the Jerry Springer show, 
if they call you, they want you to answer, and they expect you, you know, to to drop what you're doing and find the people. So after a while, I was like, you know, fuck this and shit. So uh, I told them I didn't want to do it anymore, and they still call me every once in a while, but you know, it it, it just became more of a headache work than anything. But I got to meet uh, Ron Jeremy, which I I met him a lot more now that he's part of the uh, gatherings and stuff. I met mm-hmm. Butterbean, uh, you know, just just cool people off that Jerry Springer thing. Uh, but it just wasn't for me, you know. I, I I'm the type of guy that don't even don't even want you know people to boss me around. But these guys. You know, you had like six bosses that would call you and ride you to the ground, and I told them, I'm done with that. I don't want to do this no more. Sure. Um, so, you know, you talk about, um, you know, ICP and everything, and, you know, you did a lot, of, I think, touring with them and everything else. Um, How did you get into all that? Uh, me and Ian was wrestling in Detroit for a guy named Malcolm Monroe. Uh, there's, a, there's another Malcolm Monroe Jr., wrestling there now doing uh, really good things but this was his father's promotion uh, Malcolm Monroe and one time uh, me and Ian with Sabu in the crowd did a thumbtack death match and there was these two guys also on the show that you know they were they had dreadlocks and you know tattooed up everywhere and after me and Ian got done wrestling they came over and said, man, that that shit was great. We loved every bit of that, you know. And uh, they wrestled as Hector Hatchet and the Sewer Dweller. Well, they, you know, gave me a a CD and some T-shirts and stuff like that. Well, I got to listen to the CD on my way home, and that was really good stuff, you know. I I really dug that. Uh, Mm. And then they was... uh, there were some kids walking around the mall that had their T-shirts on in St. Louis, Missouri. So I was like, shit, I need to get a hold of those guys. Well, then they did a, a show called uh, Strangle Mania Live, and they uh, they got a hold of a guy named Dan Curtis who got a hold of Ian, me, and we got another guy booked. And, uh, you know, it just went from there. I've, I've been on all their wrestling shows, Strangle Strangle Mania Live, uh, Hellfire, and now JCW. And since the ga- uh, well, until the gathering, me and Crazy Mary was their uh, JCW tag team champions. The the riders are now, but uh, tomorrow is Hollow Wicked, and uh, me and Mary are both wrestling on that in Detroit. Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in the gathering. I mean, the stories you hear out of there, just it's crazy stuff. Um, do you have any stories that have come out of uh, you know working over there? I will tell you that you know I have been to every one of them, 16 of them, which is uh, you know unheard of. But uh, <laughs> out of 16 gatherings, there's been you know you'd say. Oh, 50,000 to almost 100,000 kids over the 16 years that's been to these things. I've only seen five fights out of that whole time. You know, uh, the gathering of the Jerry Bowl gets a, a bad rep, but uh, those kids are all about family and, you know, 
for those five fights, I've seen thousands of good deeds back and forth to these kids. So there's no reason for the gathering of the Juggalos to have the bad reputation that it is. But, you know, when you get that many kids together with all their face paint and everything, you know, people's just going to, you know, you, you hate what you don't understand. And, right. you know, if those people came and saw how those guys acted, you know, they they might change change their tune about the gathering of Juggalos, but it's just not going to happen. And I realize that that's what society is today. But, uh, you know, I've seen so many artists over the years. I got to see uh, Old Dirty Bastard before he died. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm good friends with Vanilla Ice, you know, something that I never thought I would be. Uh, you, know, right. just, you know, just hung out with so many cool people. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey hung out with him and... Uh, you know, just for me, the gathering of the Juggalos is something every year that it wouldn't matter what I was doing, I would drop what I was doing and go to the gathering of the Juggalos. Uh, you're talking about uh, celebrities and stuff like that, and, you know, people you've been close with. Um, I saw a video not too long ago you put up with um, you and Marilyn Manson putting Vicks Vapor Rub in your eyes and uh, seeing who, who took longer to tear up. How did that come about? Well, uh, this is what I think, which unofficially this is. Okay, so uh, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, me and him met each other and got got to be good friends from Resistance Pro in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, after the concert... um, Everybody with a backstage pass had to stay back, but me, Crazy Mary, and our other friend, Shaq Daddy, they took us into the cafeteria and had us sit down. And here come, and we had Marty Bell from TNA with us and her boyfriend and another guy. So we're, mm-hmm. sitting, at the, we're sitting at the table, and here comes Billy, which, you know, it's cool. Marty Bell knows Billy from TNA. I mean, Crazy Mary, and we're just having a talk about that Billy Corp. About that time, Billy Corgan looks over to me and goes, Pondo, here comes the emperor. And I look at the doorway, and it's Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson comes over to the table, and he's got a, a little thing of Vicks rubs on his finger, and he's rolling it around in his hand. And he goes, uh, Billy, I want to uh, do a challenge with somebody. Which one of these guys should I choose? And Billy said, that guy right there. So I think Billy Corgan might have told Marilyn Manson there was a guy who loves pain as much as he did, and I think Marilyn Manson was just trying to check it out and see, you know. Um, yeah. So that's how that Vicks rub, you can go on YouTube right now. It's Marilyn Manson versus Madman Pondo, the Vicks rub challenge. And uh, the whole thing's on there, but, you know, I'm t- I'm here to tell you that sucked. That was <laughs> some terrible, terrible shit, like, I wanted to get that out of my eyes, but, uh, you know, I wasn't going to let Marilyn Manson beat me, so I stuck it out. But, uh, you know, on contact, our eyes were already watering real bad, but it had to be uh, the one that it ran down their cheeks. And sure enough, it ran down Marilyn Manson's cheek and victorious Madman Pondo over Marilyn Manson. (laughs) 
how, how do you even get that out of your eyes? I mean, I figure even flushing it, that, that seems like uh, the type of stuff to be waterproof. We, we didn't put it in our eyes. We put it in our tear ducts. Oh, uh, okay. But uh, just a napkin. Just a napkin took it out, but uh, I couldn't even imagine if it got in my eyes because it was, it was killing me just being my tear ducts. Yeah. Um, so how did you get started with uh, IWA East Coast? How did you get that all going? I was living in Mexico, Missouri, and uh, there just wasn't any wrestling going on there. And a buddy of mine, uh, Woody Numbers, he he would call me constantly and and say, "Hey, I need you to move out here. I want to run wrestling shows down here." But you know, I, I just wasn't into it. You know, I, I didn't know how to run my own company. And finally, uh, Woody Numbers said, "Listen, my grandma has houses down here that she'll rent you one for four hundred a month." Well, I couldn't pass that up, so we loaded up the car and moved to Charleston, West Virginia. And uh, at, at least once a week, he would bring up this subject about, come on, let's start running our own wrestling company here. So finally I told him, I said, listen, how many companies are wrestling, are, are uh, currently going on here in Charleston? And there were seven of them. And all seven of them was having trouble drawing 100 people. So I, I told him, I said, you know, it's got to be that, that, you know, it's just too uh, fluttered, you know. There's too much wrestling in this area. So finally, I told him, I said, all right, this is what we'll do. Uh, we will go to all seven companies, and we'll watch their show, and I'll see if I can't do anything different. Well, after company three or four or five, I told Woody, I said, look, I know what we'll, how to draw people in this area. And he's like, how's that? I said, run a good show. I mean, it was just shitty shows. It was terrible shows. Uh, some of them had, had small children wrestling for them. Some of them, uh, anyway. So, so we decided to do uh, the first show and I told Woody, I said, all right, so I want to bring in a headliner. Who should we bring? And they was going over all these names and about that time, they said, uh, I would say we could bring in Abdul the Butcher, but he no-showed three times in this area. I said, mm-hmm. oh, my God, that's your, that's your answer right there. And they was like, why is that our answer? I said, Abdullah and me are really close. He's the one who got me in Japan. So I called Abdullah, and Abdullah said, yep, fire me out, and I'm there. So we put Abdullah the Butcher versus uh, Necro Butcher, Battle of the Butchers. That was our main event. Then um, Raoji Ito, uh, Dasuke Sakimoto, and Yuki Lee, they was always wanting to come to America and hang out and go shopping and stuff like that. So I got a hold of them, and I said, hey, how would you guys like to come and and wrestle on my first show here in America? So there was a semi-main, me versus Raoji Ito, and then uh, Dasuke Sakimoto took on Ian Rotten. Um, I put a, a ladies match on the show. So, uh, uh, well, first I, I booked Chris Hero, and Chris mm-hmm. Hero uh, he brought uh, Cesaro, 
but he was he was Castaldi then, and uh, he was dating Allison Danger. Chris Earl was dating Allison Danger, so right. we had we had Cesaro versus Chris Earl. Then we had Nikki Knuckles taking on Allison Danger. Then I wanted to have uh, a little WWE name on the show. So I called Zach Gowan, and Zach Gowan took on uh, Nate Webb as Backyard Wrestling's character, uh, El Drunko. And mm-hmm. everybody loved the show. I mean, it was the talk of the town. And uh, I said, okay, let's, let's do a second one. So the second one, we brought in uh, New Jack. And the third one, we brought in Raven. And then we brought in the Sandman. And, you know, we just kept bringing in these names, and next thing we knew, we was drawing 250 to 300 people a show. So IWA's Coast ran for about, let's see, four, five, six, seven, about four years, and it was pretty successful, but then I moved here to Louisville, and shit just kind of died. So uh, a guy named uh, Fatton, Michael Tawney, he still runs IWA's Coast. I still run the locker room, but I don't own it anymore. Right. Um how did you get going with the um, Masters of Pain tournament? Uh, of course, Woody Numbers again kept saying, you know, let's let's do a Deathmatch tournament, and uh, he he wanted to do one the first and second year. Uh, for, um, I'm sorry, yeah. Anyway, I said, well, here's the first thing we got to do: let's save some money so we can get the materials to do it, because without the materials to do it your Deathmatch tournament's going to suck. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when we built that ungodly, heavy barbed wire cage that, you know, it didn't have to be that. When I said barbed wire cage, I just meant four pieces of wood with barbed wire right across it. But we built, like, a fortress, mm-hmm. and it cost so much money. So, uh, you know, Masters of Pain was... was uh, I think we did four or five of them, four of them. And, uh, you know, people today, when 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 they put what's the best uh, Deathmatch tournament you see, I go to the results. And sometimes, you know, not all the time. I'm mean, a horse tournament of death and king of death are the main ones. But mm-hmm. we, always get, we always get eight or nine people saying, Masters of Pain, you know, this year and this year and stuff like that. So... I guess we put an impact with those Masters of Pain on Deathmatch Wrestling. Sure. Um, Now, you know, 2015, I've seen more, you know, Deathmatch tournaments popping up all over the place. It's crazy. Um, What's your thoughts on that? I am actually pretty happy about it because there for a while, uh, that's, you know, let's just lay it out on the line. Tournament of Death was in DJ Hyde's grandma and grandpa's backyard because mm-hmm. buildings just didn't want death matches anymore, you know. Uh, the yeah. Hannibal Abdullah story got out, you know, with the Hep C and, you know, yeah. there wasn't even death matches anymore that was killing death matches. It was diseases out there and, you know, I, I really don't know that many deathmatch workers that's got diseased off this stuff, but, you know, without a building, without an area, you don't have a show. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was people's big fright back then, you know, and deathmatches started to die. 
So now that I know, you know, Nick Gage just ran his and uh, Milestone out of North Carolina, they ran one. Uh, Kevin Brandon is doing the Carnage Cup. I'm happy that death matches are, are staying alive. I just, you know, don't want somebody to to get fucked up in the process and, and you know, run death matches right back down into the dark ages. But, you know, right. you, you got to give it up for the brave guys. As long as the brave guys hang around. Right now, to me, the number one death match guy is Matt Tremont. That man is fearless. And uh, mm-hmm. he's out to show that death matches are entertaining. So I'd say right now the number one death match guy is Matt Tremont. Yeah, yeah and he's a great dude on top of it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, you mentioned uh, IWA Deep South of what Kevin Brandon's doing. And, you know, I've been talking to a bunch of guys on the show. And, you know, after last year, he put out somewhat of a press release that that more or less said, like, you know, uh, barbed wire is not enough, light tubes aren't enough. If that's all you're willing to do, don't contact us for bookings. We're taking it to the next level and stuff. And, and some of the picture that they painted looked kind of dangerous. As you said, like, if someone goes a little too far, it could ruin it for everybody. Um, what's your thoughts on, you know, what he's putting out there? Okay, here is uh, my answer to that, but, this is the only one I can give you. Um, I wanted a job at CZW, so I was willing to cut a man and get cut by scissors. Now, is it to the extreme that Kevin Brandon and and other deathmatch wrestlers are doing? No, but it's the same premise. People want to be noticed for things. Therefore, you got to keep coming up with... Uh, you know, dangerous things to do. Uh, Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel shouldn't have done half the shit he did, but he did it because he wanted to get noticed. So for me to be able to say, I think somebody's going too far, I can't because I was the guy going too far. You know, before before the uproar of death matches and all that, you know, I was the guy doing all this, stuff that was just unheard of, you know. Now there's more people doing them, which makes it easier on me, but, you know, I I really, you know, I don't have an answer that would not make me seem like a hypocrite to tell you that anybody's going too far because before I was the guy going too far. Sure. Um, Back in 2005, um, you went into uh, Chikara and you worked uh, the Chikara tag tournament thing. I don't know what yeah. they call it. Um, and, uh, uh, you King had a, of Trios. Oh, well, it wasn't King of Trios. There was just two of us. But, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. remember what it was either. But um, in the first round, uh, you and Necro wrestled uh, some ROH students, and it seemingly became the beginning of the feud that launched into Necro and Samoa Joe and everything else. Um, what was your memory of the match? Uh, I remember that the ROH kids went and did an interview on me and Necro. I didn't care about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't even know what they said. But uh, I watched it on video later, and they, you know, the one guy was talking about how me and Necro was a cancer and what we do is not wrestling. That stuff doesn't bother me. I don't care about it. But I do remember they coming to me 
and Necro was standing behind me, and they said, okay, it's your guys' turn for, you know, to do a promo. And I stood up, and Necro put me back down in my chair and said, we'll do our promo out there, which I thought he meant we would get on the microphone and do a promo, but no, he was legit mad at these ROH kids. So that's how you got what you got out of the ROH kids. Then, uh, then, you know, I mixed Necro out. I'm like, man, we made it to Chikara. You're beating up these kids. What the fuck's wrong with you? You know, chill the fuck out. Well, then we wrestled uh, two guys, men at work, I think. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, they was going over all this stuff. And finally I stopped them and I said, look, man, Necro don't do this stuff. Are you guys going to be able to walk us through it? And they said, yeah, you know, we do this all the time. Well, spot one, two, or three, they forgot what they was doing. So it was either make the match look good or let them keep shitting up the place. So, you know, I started laying into them, and, uh, you know, one of them got a broke nose. Uh, One of them, it wasn't the finish, but uh, I made one of them submit, you know, just just, and then Necro was like, oh, I'll bitch me out, but you beat these guys, you know. So uh, <laughs> I thought they would never have us back at Chikara, but we was invited the next year. Uh, Mike Clackenbush said we was the most talked about thing on the tournament, but, you know, something was going on. I, I couldn't make it. I, I can't remember if Necro made it or not. That was about my memories of Chikara. Yeah. Um you were able to get into the um, uh, the video game scene with uh, Backyard Wrestling. Um, what was your thoughts on actually, you know, seeing your face on a video game? I was at the Gathering of the Juggalos, and uh, this guy, pretty friendly, you know, sitting at the bar, and I'm not much of a drinker, but, you know, he was a good dude, so, you know, he would buy me drinks, and I kept telling him the last night after I get paid, I'll buy the drinks. Well, that guy was Kevin right. Gill. And sure enough, he paid for the drinks, but then on the last night, he didn't think I was serious, but I went to him, and sure enough, I bought the drinks. So I was already over with Kevin Gill, but he kept telling me, yeah, I'm, I'm here to put a bunch of you know, put ICP and wrestlers in a video game. Man, in this wrestling, I've heard so much shit in my life. I didn't even, I didn't even care. You know, cool. If you mm-hmm. do it, cool. But if not, you know, I, I don't expect much. But sure enough, that's what happened. He put us in a video game, and then uh, part two came out. Uh, you know, I was a part of that. And then uh, uh, Return to Fire Pro, uh, you know how have you ever play, played Fire Pro? Yeah. Okay. When you're when you're a character in the game, your name is Blue. But when you're a created character, your name is Green. And I'm happy to say that my name is Blue and returned to Fire Pro. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so you know, you and Tony had um. You know, toured a bunch. You know, as far as being a tag team and everything else, um, they brought you in uh, 2005 up against uh, Nick Age and, and Justice Payne in CZW. And um, 
at the time, I mean, they were pretty much just running through guys, and it seemed like that was the case with you guys, too. It didn't seem like nearly as competitive as I expected it to be. What do you remember about that match? I remember it was just terrible. Uh, um, they had their ideas. Tony has his ideas, and me. I'm just trying to get along with everybody, and they didn't mm-hmm. really like Tony. Uh, you know, Tony had a lot of ideas, and he kept trying to throw them out there. And me, I'm just trying to get this match going. It, it just, you know, we just didn't all four click good, and and uh, you know, I guess you saw the video. It, it just wasn't the best match on the card at all. And yeah, I was there. <laughs> but I do remember it, it wasn't a very good match. Yeah. Um, had you um, worked in the past with with Justice Payne, or you know, had that always been a problem with him, or was it just the just the no, match? No, yeah, yeah. I, I used to work uh, Justice Payne in, in Zandig, and then and then Zandig went over to the big big Japan side. So, uh, you know, Justice Payne was on the CZW side, so I really didn't work him all that much, but. Uh, I can almost picture that I remember that I – I don't remember if I did or not. I get hit in the head too much, but uh, <laughs> there was – I never had any problem with Justice Payne, so I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Just that night, it was just not our night. Sure. Um, what was your favorite memories of Japan? Because you, you spent a lot of time in Japan and, you know, worked pretty much everyone. I was there from 2000 till 2008, and uh, man, I, you know, getting into wrestling, that was my dream. It was never WWE, it was never WCW, none of that. My dream was to get to Japan, and to this day, I've been 43 times there and back, so uh, I pretty well lived that dream, and uh my my biggest biggest joy, my biggest proudest moment in Japan was when Masanaga came and and gave me his wing bands for my wrist and told me to, had the uh, translator tell me to start calling myself the American Danger Man. I mean that was the guy that I was watching, you know, to get into these death matches. So that was a damn big moment for me. Sure. Um, do you have any good road stories? Hmm. Good road stories. Sure do. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just so so many. Uh, sure. Uh, I the, the one that sticks to mind. Um, we was on tour with ICP. Uh, actually, JCW was, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the juggalos loaned me his girlfriend for the night. And, you know, so all of a sudden I became pretty popular. Well, uh, we got on the tour bus, and Mitch Page had already fell asleep. So I told this girl, I said, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to reach in this. Because on the tour bus, we had these curtains that, that would shut. You know, that would be your little room inside these cubby holes. I told this girl, I want you to reach inside this curtain 
and jacked this guy off like you never have before. So she licked her hands and she started jacking him off. Then I put my face inside the curtain. <laughs> so when he so when he woke up, that's what he saw. He saw me and uh, damn near killed the girl. <laughs> you know, that that was a pretty good road story. Shit, <laughs> crazy. Um, is there anything in death matches that you wish you never did or or wouldn't do again? Uh, those pencils, man, that was that was the worst shit ever. I'm telling you. Okay, so uh, I drove to to uh, where was it at? That was in Delaware. That one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I drove to Delaware, and uh, I had a Asian wife at the time who didn't have a driver's license, and Gypsy Joe in the back seat who who didn't drive. So after those pencils, like I told you, my whole body was just agonizing, you know, just fucking kicking me in the ass. But I'm the one that had to drive home, had to drive all the way from Philly to Charleston, West Virginia. Then uh, we we had tickets the next day for um, in Cleveland, Ohio, for the Indians versus the Yankees, and we'd had these tickets for a while, so... Then I drove from the next day, Charleston, to Cleveland, four hours, setting those comfortable baseball seats, then got back in the car, drove home. You know, it was just terrible. And then finally on the sixth day, I could click my fingernail on uh, on the piece of uh, uh, lead that was stuck inside my ass. So I just <laughs> put, my fingers, put my fingers on both sides of it. Uh, got me a razor, made the hole a little bit bigger, pushed, and it came out. And for a long time, I still had that piece in a plastic bag. I have no idea where it is now. But, yeah, I would say those pencils was the worst, dumbest idea I ever had. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's some pretty extreme stuff, man. Um, so, you know, as of recently, um I think, you know, traveling with Mary and everything, uh, you wound up being a, a rosebud. What, what was that situation like? I was, so I dropped uh, Crazy Mary off at the arena, and then I went back to the hotel. And uh, I, I wasn't there 10, 15 minutes, and I get a phone call from, some number that I didn't know, but I answered it, I said, and it was uh, John Cone, the referee at WWE. He said, are you still in Memphis? And I said, yeah, I'm at the hotel. And he said, is there any way you can come back? And the reason, uh, do you watch WWE at all? Yeah. yeah. Okay, do you remember when uh, a bunch of security guards pushed Dean Ambrose in a door and then they stood outside uh, blocking the door? Well, anyway, yeah, that's yeah. what happened. And so they lost a bunch of their rosebuds to catch Adam Rose because he does that that fall from the second rope. Right. So they they needed guys. So I told and and one thing I know about, you know, being backstage there, you have to dress up because I've watched Crazy Mary dress up. Everybody's dressed up. And I told him, I said, I don't have any uh, dress clothes. I mean, I was in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre t-shirt, 
and they said we don't we don't care what you're what you're wearing. We just need you to come back. And so I I came back and uh, I was the one in the back that caught Adam Rose. Uh, two two for his legs, uh, two for his arms, one for his for his middle, and then I was the neck. So mm-hmm. uh, you know when I showed up, all the extras are looking at me like, who's this motherfucker that? don't have to dress up, you know, so nobody was really paying that much attention to me and didn't talk to me much. So uh, we're sitting backstage and we're waiting on Adam Rose and the Bunny to do their uh, promo and somebody comes over and puts me in a headlock and starts giving me work shots and they finally let me go and I look and it's it's Dean Ambrose. (laughs) So, you know, he sits there and talks to me for about 10 minutes. And then when he leaves, next thing I know, all the extras want to start talking to me, you know, and I, I wasn't having, I'm like a bunch of fake fuckers, you know? Right. So, uh, that was how I got to be a rosebud. And then, uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio for a house show, I got to be a rosebud. So, uh, I got, I got never thought I'd work for WWE, but I got two checks out of them, which is pretty cool. Yeah, man. Uh, if you had to pick three matches out of your career that you'd put like on a highlight reel or or whatever the case is, that would be your favorite. What would those three matches be? Uh, number one would be Terry Funk when I run the JCW when I won the JCW title off of him at the Gathering of the Juggalos. Uh, number two would be the uh, would be the uh, Toby Klein match with the pencils. And number mm-hmm. three would be me and Two Tough Tony versus Abdullah Kobayashi and Kenzo Suzuki. And I'll explain to you why. They put me and Tony versus – Kenzo Suzuki just got uh, – uh, just quit or got fired from WWE. So it was his first match back from Japan. So they put me and Tony versus him thinking that they would boo us and cheer for them. But nothing was farther from the truth. You know, when me and Tony walked out, they was chanting Baka Gaijin, and they didn't give two shits whether Kenzo Suzuki was there or not. So that was a pretty good moment in my life. Nice. Yeah, I I think that's about all I got, man. If there's anything else you want to put out there, plug. Uh, I, it's very strange, but uh, here lately... Uh, I haven't been doing all that many matches or anything like that, but I have started my own girl, all girls wrestling company called Girl Fight. Okay, it's been getting it's getting been getting pretty popular. Uh, you can search Girl Fight Wrestling on Facebook, and you'll see the page. Uh, you know, we've had Jessica Havoc, Blue Pants, of course, Crazy Mary Dobson, um, Taylor Hendricks. Candice LeRae, you know, we've, we've got uh, we've got some pretty good matches under our belts, and the reason mm-hmm. I'm doing it is I want to, you know, help ladies wrestling because I think ladies wrestling's got a pretty bad rap because, you know, guys will just put two girls in the ring and call it ladies wrestling, but right. you know, sometimes not be the best match in the world, but you know, we put them together where there's good ladies matches, and that's Girl Fight Wrestling on, you know, you can check it out on Facebook. Now, you know, with the uh, the women's wrestling, you know, some of it, like you said, does get a bad stigma. Um, 
you know, you do have, um, I, I guess, a, a group of the, the uh, female wrestling audience, I should say, I guess. Um, they they kind of use it more so as a fetish than a sport. Um, right. You know, how do you deal with that and, you know, cater towards the wrestling side of things? Or do you have to embrace that to a certain extent? Uh, no, we don't have to embrace it at all. I tell all the girls it's not a TNA show to go out there and wrestle just like you would. You know, right. like the guys would. Uh, I was sitting in the arena, uh, full sale in in uh, Orlando for Sasha Banks versus uh, Bailey. So yeah, excellent amazing. match from beginning to end. You know, uh, the crowd was going nuts, and that was a thirty-minute match. You know, mm-hmm. it was legit thirty minutes because they had it on the on the uh, time thing. You know, the timer. And uh, I figure if those two at NXT can have a women's match like that, that I don't understand where women's wrestling... Well, I do understand where women's wrestling is getting a bad rap. I mean, some women out there uh, just just shouldn't be wrestlers. You know, I'll just right. lay it out there on the line. There's, there's some that's been doing this for a while who has been nowhere. You know, I mean, Why? Why would you think that? So uh, I just get a good group of girls together and we just have a good time. You know, that's that's one of the uh, it's one of the main rules on my shows is that everybody has a good time. And you know, so mm-hmm. far that's what's happened. And you know, I've been traveling with Crazy Mary shows that she goes to, and you know, just watching her. And it's actually uh, helps me rejuvenate my body a little bit. And you know. I, I've been enjoying. Uh, I, I never thought I'd be a fan of women's wrestling like I am, but you know, here I am today running my own women's show. So, sure. And is that a difficult thing to keep it, you know, to the way it is supposed to be? You know, wrestling based and wrestling focused. Is it hard to, you know, battle against that thing? Uh, I've only had one instance where one guy was chanting, "Show me your tits." I went over and you know, calmed him down and said that's not what this show's about and you know right. that that was just one instance out of uh six shows that we ran, so no, nah, it's not that hard really. Good. Right, excellent. Yeah, um is there anything else you got? Anything other any other plugs? Uh you can find me at Kevin Kennedy, C A N A D Y on Facebook. Uh I I guess that's about all I got. All right, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Definitely like to have you back on in the future, too, man. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Sounds great. Get you some more questions together, and here I am. All right, man. Sounds good. All right. Thank you for your time. All right, no problem, man. Have a good night. All right, buddy. Bye. So there you go, man. It's uh, Madman Pondo, and uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that in like an hour and a half just now. So um, I think that's very good. I enjoyed it very much, and uh, there you go. I'll uh, talk to you guys on Wednesday. My guest will be JT Dunn. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. 
You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So, what I make you? Good? You're not good. You just know how to hide. How to lie. Me, I don't have that problem. Me, I always tell a truth. Even when I lie. So say goodnight to the bad guy. I'm gonna tell you something straight off the motherfucking press. I ain't coming for no food. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.